covered the Chicago Bulls for the Chicago Tribune for over two decades. That is a man by the name of Casey Johnson. Casey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's uh, it's a real big honor. And again, uh, as everyone knows, as we're all dealing with the quarantine that's going on in the basketball world, everyone is waiting uh, on pins and needles for the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary to come out. Casey, you were there uh, covering the Bulls during those years. I, I know we're going to jump right into this, but just, just first thoughts, uh, how excited are you for this to come out? Or does it just feel like you're going to relive something you already saw in person? Uh, it's funny. That's a good question because, like, when they first announced it, that was kind of my reaction. Well, you know, I was there. I covered it. Uh, that was actually my first big break at the Chicago Tribune. Uh, the this is how old BJ and I are. I, I that was uh, the, the internet was just coming around in 1996, so they're like, "Hey, yes. that's a popular team. Let's go. Let's throw KC on the uh, Chicago Tribune internet site." That they didn't know what what really it was. Uh, so that was uh, obviously a huge thrill for me early in my. my newspaper career i now work for nbc sports chicago but had a great uh run at the tribune and uh so yeah that was my initial reaction but now that we're in this crazy new reality of that we're all living in i'm very excited about it because um you know it gives us something to do number one and and number two everyone i've talked to and i remember cameras being around all the time but everyone i've talked to said that the access and you know the behind the scenes stuff is just unprecedented and then lastly I'll just say, and, and BJ can speak to this. I mean, Michael doesn't cooperate with a lot, and Michael cooperated <laughs> with this. So, so, uh, so the fact that Michael's on board, I think, obviously, that's that's appointment television right there, right, guys? Yeah, for you know, it's it's been so long. I'm gonna start from you know the first champion through the uh, championship. Casey, do you feel time has passed and so much interest in those teams? Do you feel that? perhaps that they waited too long to, to tell the story? Uh, I mean, I, until I see it, I can't really ask that, BJ. What I would say is, you know, my sense is, um, again, with Michael's cooperation, um, you know, he, he does some current interviews. And as we all know, he does not do many current interviews now. Um, so the fact that you're going to have his voice now, they probably had to to wait for that. And, you guys know, I mean, the passage of time, I mean, legends only grow greater, right? And, um, you know, I, I, I just can't believe, I mean, you know, we're all obviously living in a difficult time, but in some ways their timing might might not have even, couldn't have even been better because every, I, I think this is going to be one of the most watched documentaries in, in history because of just everybody's homebound right now. And this mm -hmm. is a very captivating team and very captivating dynasty. Yeah, and if you look at it all right, right now at the at – the, I just want to give Casey like a timeline of when you got there to the Bulls. So you got there in 97, right, for the Steve Kerr shot. That was like your first big moment, right, with the, with the Tribune and covering the Bulls? No, I covered the second three-peat in its entirety. So I, I was okay. around for the championship over the Sonics in, in 96 um, and uh, missed BJ's dominant run, uh, his all-star <laughs> season, and, uh, and, and his first three-peat. But uh, I've obviously known BJ a long time. But, yeah, 96 was my first time around the Bulls. I got you. Is that one of the biggest regrets of your career, not being able to see BJ's all-star season? He, he doesn't like to share too much about it. Well, you know, oh. I, I hear, I hear, I hear it enough as is. So I don't, I don't really need to have covered it. You know. So. Uh, yeah. You Guys are funny, you know. We've got a lot of joke I'm right now, so we'll let all this uh, pass. No. Oh, we love it. We love it. And, but to get serious for a second, uh, Casey, obviously, um, 
you know, we live in the world, like you said, a lot of people are at home right now. We're seeing a lot of highlights and debates and, and conversations around the game of basketball. You know, we, we hear the the old adage, the old goat debate. We, we see it on TV and it's still going on with LeBron and Jordan. Just being there uh, in those moments with MJ and seeing the magic happen in, in real time. Because um, BJ and I have talked about it before, it sometimes it felt very cinematic, like it was a movie at times. Do you think there will be a, a class of people that will be shocked at what they see in this last year with Jordan? Or will it be more of the same? Um, you know, again, until we see what the footage is, I yeah. can't really answer that. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I think it's going to peel back the curtain on, on who Michael, um, you know, really was. And as you know, it's been pretty well documented that he could be hard on teammates at times, obviously always striving for the greater good and for greatness. Um, but you know, the on the court stuff we've all seen, or a lot of us have seen, for those who haven't seen and, you know, live, grew up in the Kobe and LeBron era, I mm-hmm. think you're going to be in for a treat because I think one thing that jumps out to me and, you know, my current employer, NBC Sports Chicago, we've actually been airing uh, the title, the 1996 title run mm-hmm. at, at night in these classic rewind games, which has been kind of fun. And one thing that jumped out to me is, you know, how Michael would have been dominant in any era. Um, he just, he was such a transcendent talent, obviously. So so athletic, number one. But what I think what people forget is how smart he was, too. He was an incredibly mm-hmm. smart player, uh, utilized his talents in the triangle very well. His post-up game obviously became lethal in the second three-peat. So um, I, I hope people understand just how talented he was, not only on the court, but also behind the scenes in terms of driving his teammates. Mm-hmm. Casey, um, you and I had the privilege of playing with Michael. You had – had a chance to cover him and see him up close. What do you think to say one thing that you would hope that would come out Michael in the in this documentary that what do you think would based on what you know about that dynasty and all the cast of characters one thing you would hope would come out or highlight or hasn't been mentioned enough? Uh, I think kind of what I was alluding to before is I mean I mean you would know this a lot better than me because you were in the practices I wasn't I just you know was waiting to talk to the athletes after practice but you know, and I, I think his legendary competitiveness sometimes could be viewed as a negative, and I'm sure it was destructive maybe in the real-time quick moment, but I always think it was part of a greater good. And um, I think the people, you know, that he respected, they those players kind of fed – those competitive – the competitive nature of those two players then kind of fed off each other. I mean, you could speak to that even a lot more eloquently than me, obviously, because I think you personally benefited a lot from playing with Michael because the people that were as driven and as competitive and as serious about the game as Michael, he embraced and he welcomed. And those that he thought were lacking or not holding up there into the bargain, he would go at. He, he, he would prey on weakness, uh, both with his opponents and obviously also with his own team but he was doing that not in a destructive way, but hopefully, ultimately, in a constructive way to, to have everybody be as great as they could be. You know, Casey, one of the, the um, you know, or to the, the players and the people at that time is, is if there's one thing that comes out in this entry is the complexity between Michael and Jerry Krause. Can you speak on that a little bit? Uh, very much so, uh, because uh, I consider my, uh, myself very privileged, um, and this has been documented in the Tribune pages, but 
you know, it's nice that I get the platform to share it here. I, I felt fortunate to become pretty close friends with Jerry Krause after he left the Bulls in 2003, and he did not have a lot of close friends. And um, he, he and I basically just bonded over our love for basketball. And, um, you know, he was just someone that really just kind of wanted to be heard. He, he just wanted somebody to listen to him, and he obviously had a lot of stories. And he and I struck up a very uh, uh, very sentimental relationship over the last several years of his life. So I know Jerry very, very well. And I think the one thing that may get lost sometimes, because obviously Michael is uh, you know, credited with hanging the derisive nickname Crumbs on Jerry. And there was obviously an us-against-them mentality that Phil Jackson kind of uh, you know, fostered between – you know, the inner circle, the, the sanctity of the team and, and, and management at times. But at the end of the day, Michael Jordan respected Jerry Krause. And you, you, we all know how pro sports work. You cannot like people, but if you respect them, it's all good. And, you know, he respected him because he knew how hard he worked and he knew that he wanted to win championships as badly as Michael did. So, look. You know, I feel weird being kind of the expert here, BJ. You won three championships. I just wrote about three championships. But what I will say is that dynasty, man, people don't understand how hard that is to, to do at, over that long of a period of a time. And really, you know, Jerry also should get credit for this. You know, that first repeat was centered around, obviously, Michael and Scotty, but had wonderful players like yourself and, and uh, Horace Grant. And, and, you know, that the second three-peak was a completely different cast, except for, obviously, the two most important players in, in Michael and Scotty. I mean, Horace became Dennis Rodman. John Paxson became Steve Kerr. B.J. Armstrong became Ron Harper, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think Jerry deserves some credit for that as well. Casey, just like picking up on what you just said right there, talking about Jerry Krause being able to um, build these two different teams around the two, you know, the same centerpieces with – MJ and Scotty, obviously, I just want to talk about um, being a reporter, a beat reporter at that time in that era. You, you talk about the uh, how hard it is to put together a contender, a, a three-peat team. We don't see, you know, the Warriors, you know, that they could get two. They got three out of four, but it wasn't a three-peat. We saw Kobe and Shaq do it, and they're so revered for being able to, to handle a three-peat. But just from a beat reporter and covering that team through those three-year periods, I mean, how arduous was it on you as a reporter just, you know, kind of keeping up with the stories and, and just kind of, you know, telling the narrative and the pressure to tell that story back in, your, back in that time in the 90s, you know, in the Tribune, and that was the center stage for the biggest team in the world? It wasn't arduous at all. It was a complete honor and thrill. First of all, I, I should make, make clear that I was not the lead beat writer. Terry Armour was the lead beat writer, and we also had wonderful mm -hmm. – writers like Melissa Isaacson and Sam Smith helping with our coverage. That team was so popular that we had multiple writers on the beat. But my assignment in the 1988 finals was to write about Michael Jordan every day. And, I mean, mm -hmm. you can't get a better writing assignment than, than that. And I would also say uh, this was at a different stage in my career. I was in my 20s. Uh, I was young. I wasn't married. I had no family. I had just lived and breathed work. And – and look, I recognized the opportunity that I was getting. I, I had several out-of-body experiences covering that second three-peat where I stepped back and said, you know what, you're covering sports history and you're covering mm -hmm. stuff that people are going to be talking about for centuries. I mean, that's how great Michael Jordan was. And I, I fully savored it and enjoyed it. I didn't feel pressure at all. I, I enjoyed every second of it, and it was just a privilege to be around those teams. 
I, I can totally, uh, I understand that sentiment. And obviously I know a lot of people when they, when they think about those bulls teams, they think about uh, almost perfection. And like I said, it's like a cinematic experience and, you know, it's great to have you kind of uh, share the inside stories around that. I mean, is there anything uh, just talking about the tribune and that experience? I mean, we talked about, you know, the names that we've seen there from Robert Logan to a Sam Smith, just the lineage of that. I mean, you talked about the honor. I mean, it was it just a, a true honor to be able to do that for 20 years for the tribune. Yeah, I'll say this. Like, so I just left the Tribune in September of 2019. Mm -hmm. I never thought I would leave newspapers, but I got a wonderful opportunity uh, from NBC Sports Chicago. And I was really honored that the Tribune asked me to write a farewell column, which, you know, you don't always get the opportunity to do. And really, it's funny you bring up Robert Logan um, because he actually wrote the first uh, game story uh, in the Chicago Bulls uh, franchise history in 1966 for the Chicago Tribune and he was in my lead and basically what I talked mm -hmm. about was I just feel like I was the caretaker for the beat uh, for the Tribune for two decades and the responsibility and privilege I felt in doing that and being part of that lineage of such great writers I, I believe strongly in newspapers particularly in the age that we're living in now um, not only just on a sports level but obviously on a political level um, right. and uh, I took it seriously, and um, I, I have very strong feelings for the Chicago Tribune. It was wonderful to me and to my career, um, and I felt a, a great honor, uh, you know, kind of being the Tribune's historian on the Bulls for, for two mm -hmm. decades. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's kind of the interesting part when we have these documentaries that come out. You know, it, it ends up being a, a, a par <coughs> part of the, the, the larger puzzle of the history um, that goes in behind all this stuff. And, you know, for people that don't know, I mean, you saw the Baby Bulls. Uh, you were there in Chicago. You and BJ were there in Chicago <laughs> post-Jordan. Um, is there anything that you can tell us about those times? Because uh, those are probably my favorite Bulls teams. I mean, obviously outside the Jordan years. But I, I love the Baby Bulls. I love Eddie Curry. Um, and that was a great time as well. Well, I mean, what was interesting about uh, that era was obviously that was when Jerry Krause was replaced by John Paxson uh, from 2003 to 2005, and John flipped the roster except for Eddie Curry and, and Tyson Chandler and built it around, you know, the draft like Kirk Heinrich, Ben Gordon, Luol Deng, Chris Duhon, signed Andres yep. Nocioni. So, yeah, those were those were some teams that really resonated with the city. Um, I didn't really ever feel like they were championship-level teams, but they were – teams that represented the city very well and at least provided Woody basketball after so many years of wandering in the wilderness. Um, you know, the 98 to 2004 was, was pretty slim pickings. BJ played on one of those teams. He remembers, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. You couldn't reason. <laughs> That's good to you. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that, uh, it, the, the city was starved for, for better basketball and, 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 and they finally uh, su uh, supplied it in that 0405 season. Well, well, Casey, you've kind of seen it all there and through the, the Derrick Rose era. Bring us up to where we are currently there, because we know in the city of Chicago, right, living there. I mean, I, I lived there for over 25 years. I mean, they love their sports there in Chicago. It's a marvelous place, great fan, great city to live in. Tell us now from that Derrick Rose to now what's going on in the direction at the moment. Uh, well, obviously, you know, John Paxson and, and Gar Foreman have been kind of running basketball operations since 03. And we already talked about the first era of competitive basketball that they built. And then they flamed out in 07, 08 uh, when Scott Skiles um, uh, left the organization as coach. And they lucked into 
uh, 1.7% chance of winning the draft lottery and, and fell into that number one pick and drafted Derek in, in 2008. And Derek, um, you know, was as trend transcendent of an athlete as I've ever been around and as I've ever covered and obviously led the Bulls to several years of um, unparalleled success since the dynasty ended. Uh, you know, they went, made it to the 11 conference finals and, and lost to the Heat. And Derek became the youngest MVP in league history. So that was, you know, again, another uh, competitive team that, that John and Gar built. Um, and they had a long run together until, unfortunately, Derek's knees started betraying him. And, you know, he obviously um, underwent a, several surgeries and, and rehabs. And um, the Bulls ultimately decided to give up on him and trade him to the Knicks in, in June of 2016. And a year later, they did the same with Jimmy Butler um, and entered a full rebuild. And that full rebuild, um, we all know how hard full rebuilds are to exit and they're per, pretty mired in that full rebuild after three seasons. And so this off season, whenever it happens, um, will feature some front office change for the first time since 2003. Michael Reinsdorf is interviewing candidates as we speak for a new head of basketball operations. Um, I do think John will be given the opportunity to move into an advisory role if the new hire wants to utilize him as a resource, but we're going to see some change. Um, very shortly here with the Bulls front office. And it's remarkable. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf purchased this franchise in 1985. He, he led a group of investors that purchased this franchise in 1985. And in that time, 35 years, he's had two people head basketball operations, Jerry Krause for 18 years and John Paxson for 17 years. That's almost unheard of wow. in professional sports. So um, mm. this new hire obviously will be given – a lot of runway to try to get things right, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. And Casey, you are you're on top of that beat, right? You will be covering that whole process as as Michael Reinsdorf tries to find the the next person to come in for that eighteen seventeen year run, based on the precedent that's been set by Jerry Reinsdorf. Is there uh, is that obviously the main focus right now for the Bulls beat? Um, you know, moving forward, that's just like the main topic point around the city. Yeah, I mean, obviously, especially with the league on hiatus right now, um, mm -hmm. this has been. You know, we've we've been reporting this since February, but now the wheels are in motion. They actually conducted their first interview on Monday with a, a video in interview of Jazz General Manager Justin Zanuck. Um, mm -hmm. And this week, uh, they have another interview scheduled with Nuggets General Manager Arturis Karnasovas. Uh, mm -hmm. Possibly other candidates could emerge. As of right now, those are the only two that I've been able to confirm as, as getting um, – the Bulls have been granted permission to interview and they will interview them. Um, so yeah, obviously with, with the league on hiatus and that would be a big story regardless, but with the league on hiatus, it, it takes on even greater significance. Well, Casey, yeah. you know, just, you know, not that, but you know, now we are on an hiatus, you know, but what is your take on the, really the state of the league and, and as far as moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I get that question a lot. And I just would say, first of all, obviously, I'd preface it by saying I'm not a scientist. So I have no idea, you know, the, the length that this virus will wreak its damage or what have you. But what I will say is anyone you talk to throughout the league, uh, there are two things that jump out in every conversation. There is a strong desire by everyone from Adam Silver on down to salvage some part of the 1920 season so that there is a champion crowned. But I say that, and then I'll completely flip that around and say everyone you also talk to 
is quite speculative as to how that gets done because I think everybody is obviously recognizing how serious this is and just the difficulties in, in restarting it. I mean, these, these players now will have been idle for however long they're going to be idle. So if you're going to resume anything, uh, it's going to take a decent training camp even to get the wheels going, number one. And number two, so many logistical hurdles in terms of the scientific aspect of the virus would have to be overcome. So I per this is just my personal opinion. I'm not reporting this. I personally do not think they'll be able to resume the 19 uh, 20 season, but I do know there's a strong desire to try to salvage it if, po if at all possible. Yeah. And BJ and I have talked on the, we talked on uh, Monday, yesterday, actually, we were talking about the fact that, you know, it's about saving the, the 2021 season. You know what I mean? You don't want to risk anything where you could lose uh, a portion of either uh, of a full season next year or anything trying to salvage this season. So it is a, a tricky subject, obviously all around and, and, Obviously, we will figure out uh, what happens as the dominoes fall. And like you said, as we get more facts and the logistics are figured out. But, um, Casey, we want to point out that we were going to cover in 12 days. We're going to start covering, uh, once we have the actual footage, the last dance, uh, the full podcast series, we would love to have you uh, come back on. And once we have the actual tape, we can talk about what we see as a, as a part of what, as, uh, instead of what we may <laughs> see. Um, so we appreciate you coming on, Casey. And we hope to have you back to talk about MJ, the last dance, the Chicago Bulls, and everything else in between. I would love that, especially because then I will say this for the next time. I can I can ask EJ which team was better, the first three Pete or the second three? Oh, Casey. That's called tease. That's what that, they call tease in this that, business. That, <laughs> yes, yes. Be sharing that. I, I, I will be <laughs> once I see, but uh, it's, uh, you know, when I do all get together, and that always is a, always a, a subject that we always discuss. And uh, oh, that's that's great. You got to come back now. You you have to come back. I look yeah. forward to it, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Casey. Thanks. Oh.